People, the greatest joy you ever have on this on this planet is not making a million dollars. The greatest joy you ever have on this planet is influencing or reaching people. Whenever I whatever whenever I was uh, after I went to Bible college, we, we used to have. It's so funny the church I came out of. You know, we had what was called Monday night soul winning. Monday Monday night soul winning. Some of y'all know them old school churches, man. They knew what was up. So now you know it's like Monday night football. But uh, used to, you had Monday night soul winning. And what that meant is we just gathered up at the church on Monday nights. We got in a circle. We prayed together. And then we went out in the community and just asked people, if you were to die right now, are you sure that you have eternal life, that you're going to go to heaven or hell? And we just present the gospel real simple. And we just, we went soul and That's what it was called. So uh, it, was, it was always fun and interesting. And, and most people that come, you know, pretty shy type people. But something inside them, the Lord would be like, you need to go to Monday night soul winning. So so anytime you went, you know, you just kind of, it's just interesting. You walk up to people just out of the blue, you know, and you start asking them a question. You know, Jesus, you ever been saved, da, 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 da. And then a lot of times, you know, you lead a lot of people to the Lord. And sometimes you come upon people that just need prayer. They said, man, I'm struggling. I just need help. So you just, y'all just pray. You want to hear a funny story? I wasn't planning on talking about this, but there was a, <laughs> I'm so dumb. Uh, I mean, everything just do dumb stuff. So so there's me and a couple a couple guys. And I used to like to go soul winning. There's a guy in the church named, named Dan Craig. And he liked to go to, uh, uh, there was a store called Big Joy. And he liked to go, that was his fishing spot. He liked to go soul winning at Big Joy just because it was called Big Joy. And then there was another store next door called Save-A-Lot. So <laughs> every Monday, Dan Craig, he's going to Big Joy and Save-A-Lot because he felt like the atmosphere was already set. At Big Joy and Save a Lot. So he would use that, you know, like in his presentation. He saw these people. He's like, do you have joy? <laughs> do you have big joy? Uh, you can get saved a lot. <laughs> uh, anyway. Oh, man, I love Danny. And, and the Kellers are here. They love Danny. They, they know who I'm speaking of. And, uh, but I remember one time I was praying for this guy, you know, and he, I, I was, uh, I just remember I was praying for him. And I, so dumb. I said, I forgot what I said, but I just remember I said, <laughs> I said and I thank you, devil. And uh, <laughs> exactly, I meant to say I thank you, Jesus, or something like that. And I said, I thank you, devil. And I remember I opened one of my eyes <laughs> to see if anybody caught. I was like, and of course, the other guys that was with me, they opened their eyes and they're like, did you just say I thank you, devil? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to like retract my prayer and like, do a big fat redo and then pat them on their back send them on their way so that was my story that won't cost you nothing that was just a walk down memory lane so anyway so on Monday nights we would go do this uh, uh, we would do a Monday night soul winning go out and and, uh, and and reach people not a lot of churches do that anymore not a lot of people do that anymore but but I remember many moments that, that, that I had with individuals just in a parking lot just kind of kind of talking to them and, and the reason I'm sharing all this stuff with you is not so that you go out of this place and go find you a big joy or save a lot but but that, uh, first and foremost that you just see empty seats is not just a place to put your purse because everybody likes empty seats Come on, nobody comes to the movie theater and snuggles up to people. No, I mean, you, you, you want empty seats, right? Everybody likes a room. And they like to expand, but, but, but empty seats are a serious matter. And uh, empty seats are, are eternal, eternal problems. Empty seats are people that, that, that not only is that seat empty, but the people that they represent 
uh, it's empty. So every person influences a lot of individuals. So, so I want you to leave this place just with, with a mindset of what Jesus had. Jesus, Jesus, many times he would be preaching and teaching. And, and we see this in scripture where he would just get up and he would get high up. And the Bible says Jesus would weep. And he was moved with compassion and pity. Because he said that the, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And they were distressed. And, and he said he, he wanted to help them. And we see that a lot from Jesus. And uh, so, so I want to look at the, uh, two passages of Scripture this morning, particularly. And the first one's in the, in the New Testament. And if you've got your worship guide this morning, you know, some of your worship guide has blanks. And then the first Scripture we're going to talk about this morning, Matthew chapter 9 and the Amplified. I'm just going to ask you to underline, make your own underlines. You say, why don't you have us write things, underline things? Well, because you remember more and, and whenever you write things. So that's the reason why we have a worship guide. So if you have a Bible, you can underline. I just go ahead and underline. I like to write my Bible. Not everybody does. Uh, if you don't write your Bible, I think you should get one that you can write in. That way you got two. But I like to write in my Bible, but you can't underline in your worship guide. And this is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Uh, we're going to see the, 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 what Jesus came for. In other words, Jesus didn't come just to die on the cross. And a lot of people think that that's really what Jesus came for. And no doubt, He came, He lived, He died on the cross. But if He came just to live and die on the cross, why not come at 33? He died at 33, why not just show up at age 33? He was certainly capable of just showing up. We see times in Scripture whenever Moses has been dead for like a thousand years and Moses just show up. Uh, Moses, right? So Jesus certainly had the capability of just showing up at age 33 and saying, I'm the one that you've been looking for. I'm the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And now I'm giving my life as a sacrifice for you all. But he didn't do that. He came wrapped in swaddling, right? He came as, as a child. And, and the reason that he did that is the Bible says he wanted to experience everything that you experienced. Jesus wanted to experience what it's like to be a son and what it's like to be a sibling, what it's like to get, you know, your driving permit for a donkey or, you know, a camel or whatever. He wanted to experience uh, all the things that you and I experience, but also he wanted to experience all the temptations that you and I are tempted with. The Bible says that he was tempted in every like manner, such as we are. And if he would have just showed up at 33, he would not have had those experiences. So the Bible says there's nothing on this planet that you can experience that he can't in that manner experience. Now, obviously, there's no television back then. So there's some things that Jesus didn't experience that you and I experience, but everything that you've been tempted with or the feelings that you've had Jesus had those experiences so he didn't come just to live and to die on the cross he came you're going to see right here the first thing that he really came to do and you're going to see threefold ministry right here of what Jesus did the Bible says Jesus went through all the cities and the villages in Galilee teaching I want you to just underline that word teaching the first thing Jesus came was he came to teach Number one thing he really came to do was he came to teach. He came to teach you about being a son and not just a servant, not just a slave. He came to teach you that you've been redeemed. He came to teach you uh, the, the ways of the kingdom. And he used parables and he used illustrations and he used the fig tree and he used the mountain. And he used every means necessary in order for people to understand the principles of the kingdom, the ways of the kingdom. Because he understands if I just heal them without the teaching, they'll be sick again. If I just cast the devil out of him without the teaching, he actually told him, he says, I'll cast the devil out of you and the devil will come back seven times greater 
and he will find that you are clean and swept. But because you're empty, he'll just come back seven times worse. That's why many people, they'll go down to the front and they'll ask Jesus into their heart and they'll become all clean. And they're like, I feel like a million dollars. But because they never filled themselves up with the principles of Jesus, a lot of times they wind up worse off than they did before. And they may make heaven, but Jesus said, He says, he says listen, whenever you get clean, you can't stay empty. That, that there has to be some, some filling up. So Jesus went and He taught. And He would teach for days and teach for hours. If you remember whenever Jesus fed the 5,000, the Bible says that He taught them for three days before He ever gave them a fish sandwich. For three days they followed Followed him eight, ten hours a day. He'd teach, 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 teach. Day one, wake up again. Teach, teach, teach. After the third day, finally they come and they say, Jesus, these people have been following you around for three days, listening to your teaching. They're hungry. He said, sit them down, let's feed them. So Jesus was a teacher. Many people think Jesus is just a healer. No, he really wasn't. Really, the thing that got Jesus in trouble the most was his mouth. That's why the Pharisees said, Who is this man? He's just a kid from, Val from Galilee, and yet no man has ever spoken like him. The thing that got the disciples in trouble the most was their mouth. And they said, Are these not unlearned men? These are ignorant guys. And yet they teach with authority, is what he said. Where did they get that authority from? They learned it from Jesus. They hung out with him for three years, and they found out that the power was in his mouth. Jesus was a teacher. First thing he says, he went to all the cities and villages. He didn't just preach to the big churches. He went to the little churches. He went to the big places, the little places. And he teach in their synagogue. Second thing, and he proclaimed the good news. So he wasn't an angry teacher. He would tell good news. He said good news, glad tidings, peace on earth, right? Uh, he, he was a teacher, but also he was a teller. He tells stories. And, and what I'm encouraging you to do this morning is say, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm not naturally, I'm not a teacher. Well, you don't have to teach people everything. Just teach them what you know. You don't have to tell people everything. Just tell them what you know. How I many I remember the guy that, that was totally blind and Jesus healed him and they kept bringing him in and, and they would ask him, they say, what happened to you? He says, well, I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. And they bring him back in again. They're like, explain it to us again. And he says, I don't know, fellas. All I could tell you is I was blind, but now I see. And then they kick him out again, and they bring him back in. And he says, uh, explain it to us again. He says, there's a man named Jesus, and all I know is I was blind. And finally he tells him, he says, why don't you just go ask Jesus? Because the only thing I can tell you is I can only tell you my experience. That man couldn't tell him, you know, all the books of the Bible or all that. But he could tell him, you know, I was a point in my life when I was blind. My relationships were busted. My money was busted. And my life was busted. And I was hopeless. I was suicidal. I was addicted. I was this. But you know what? I came in contact with a people and a church and a Jesus that I once was blind. And now, I'm not, and now I can see. So I'm encouraging you to say, well, I'm not really a teacher. Then at least be a teller. And then the last thing he said that, that Jesus did, his threefold ministry, he taught in the synagogues, he proclaimed, he told the good news of the kingdom. And then the last one was, was healed every kind of sickness and every kind of disease. All sicknesses, all diseases had to bow and still bow at the name of Jesus. So I'm encouraging you guys that, that, that as a church, that when we see empty seats, we see opportunity to go and teach and to tell and to bring healing to people. 
It's your greatest joy. It's your greatest responsibility. The thing that will satisfy you most in life is reaching people because it's the only thing that will last forever. Verse number 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion and pity for them. A lot of times we see a crowd and we see, we call them thugs, right? A bunch of thugs. Or we, or we call them, you know, a bunch of this or a bunch of that, you know. We, we see them. But Jesus, he had compassion. He had pity whenever he would see these individuals. And the, the reason is, is, he says that they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the same thing I'm speaking to you this morning. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest i was watching the today show i don't and i don't watch today show very much i don't like it but uh, uh they they had a, a farmer on there that got terminal cancer very sick and i don't know if you saw this but in, in order to bring in the harvest if you know anything about the harvesting particularly wheat and stuff in the midwest you have a very small window to get the harvest in very small. That's why they'll run those combines. Those combines have huge lights on the front of them. And during harvest season, they run them 24 hours a day. Because if they don't get it out during that window, it dies and rots. And a whole year's worth of salary is lost if that window is not uh, is not uh, the, the opportunity is not taken. Well, there's this guy. Hey, I, I put a picture of it. I don't even know if I told you. Yeah, put the harvest up there. This guy got terminal cancer. I know it's kind of hard to see, and I'm not going to have him turn the lights off again. But but uh, the whole community got together, and they did uh, uh, what what would have taken them a week. They did in ten hours. A bunch of these people came together, and they all brought their combines. There's like a hundred combines, eighteen wheelers, restaurants got involved, all this stuff to help this guy get the harvest out of the field. Because his whole livelihood depended upon this harvest. I'm here to tell you that, that everything that Jesus lived and died for is the harvest. His livelihood, what drove him to this planet and drove him to the cross. What, what, what the Bible says, he says, he says, my satisfaction is to reach people. I came to seek and save the lost. He said, I'll leave the 99 to find the one. What I eat, sleep, breathe, dream about is the harvest. And there's a narrow window. And I need a bunch of combines to let's get it in. Let's get it in. Let's get it in. And, and, but, but for us, we, we, we many times we have to be encouraged and helped along with this thinking. Because it seems like the, the longer that we're a Christian, the, the fewer people we reach. Isn't that weird? The people that usually are the best soul winners are the, are the new Christians. You ever notice that? The people that just came out the fire are like, let me tell you what happened. They're ready. They're great. They're on fire. Man, they, they, they tell the story. But lots of times it's like I've been a Christian for a month or six months or a year or two years. And instead of the fire getting brighter, the fire begins to dim. Our faithfulness doesn't dim. And our education and the things of God doesn't dim. Uh, we, we know more than we've ever known. We know more of the Bible than we've ever known. We've discovered more of the treasures and the mercy and the peace and all the nuances of church. We discover all of those things. We know more and yet we do less. But you take somebody that's fresh off the, out of the honky-tonk. How many of y'all know what a honky-tonk is? Or bar, yeah. My daddy called him a honky-tonk. I'm going to the honky-tonk. Don't go, daddy. Just kidding. Uh, 
You take somebody like that, and man. And, and, and those individuals, there are some that are able to keep that alive. And I don't know if it's because they were so far from God that they can never forget from where they came from. And because they were so far and now they're not far, that, that, that He drew them near, that, that they can't forget it, so they keep that flame burning. But for us as Christians, a lot of times uh, we start going to a Christian hairdresser, Right? We start going to a Christian mechanic and we put our kids in Christian school. And we surround ourselves with our Christian friends and our Christian Bible studies. And the only people that are around us are Christians. And because of that, it, it decreases our influence. And we sit by the people that we sit by. And we, 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 we take up the space that we take. And we listen to the music that we listen to. And there's nothing wrong with that. No doubt you should have Christian friends. And Christian hairdresser. And a Christian mechanic. All that's fine. But, but you can find yourself over the course of a few years. Doing the opposite of what he came and lived and died for. So I, I just want to encourage you this morning. That the empty seat is an eternal matter. And we've got to be about our Father's business now the main passage i want to look at this morning and you can write in your little blank the blank there it says the jesus cure for the dispirited and distressed people groups is you you're the you're the cure it says jesus was moved with compassion because everybody's dispirited dispirited just means they have no real life they may have 10 million in the bank but there's nothing in their spirit i've never seen people like that they may have all the athletic ability that i certainly don't have Boy, I'd like to have some. But I can't jump for nothing. Uh, they have a lot, right? I mean, they have this, these types of ability. But their spirit is dead. Jesus, it just broke his heart. He says, I need some laborers. I need some people to go. You're the cure. Second Kings chapter 7. Uh, if, if you're familiar with this passage of Scripture... Some of you are, some of you may not be, but I'll just kind of set it up for you. Basically, the nation of Israel is surrounded by the nation of Syria. Come on, I'm asking you to use your, use your imagination this morning, uh, kind of plug in. Nation of Syria, I don't know if you've watched the news lately, but it's still very much a prominent thing that goes on right now. Russia's over there in Syria. They're bombing ISIS and all that. Syria was a big nation in the Old Testament in Bible times and it has spiritual significant purpose and it still does in 215. And I would encourage you not to just keep up with the Kardashians or the voice but also keep your ear to the ground as far as what's happening outside of America in some of these other parts because Jesus said that you can watch and see the signs of the times by what's happening over there where Jesus was so the whole thing I'm talking about this morning has to do with the nation of Syria but I'm just saying that you can still see that this is still some of this stuff is still going on because in 2nd Kings chapter 7 the Bible says that the whole nation of Israel the family of God is surrounded by the Syrians and one chapter before the Syrians tried to attack the nation of Israel and God made them all blind so they're like, charge! And God made them all blind. How many of y'all know that'll, that'll, that'll slow your charge down? Charge! So you've got all these soldiers that all of a sudden now they can't see. They're totally blind. So I, I wish I could see that. Wouldn't you just love to see that? Like, they should make a movie, like a gladiator movie like that, or like a Braveheart. And then all of them go blind. Now what? Uh, 
So anyway, so you got this whole nation of, of Syria, and all of a sudden they go blind, and after a few days they aren't blind anymore. So they thought, well, we're not going to try that again. This time, the way that we're going to attack the nation of Israel is they just, they surrounded the family of God, and they said, we're going to keep all the food. Nothing goes in to Israel, and nothing comes out of Israel. So they stayed there a week, a month, six months, a year, a year and a half. They camped outside of the nation of Israel. And their, their strategy was, well, we're not going to attack them. We're just going to starve them to death. And the Bible says that things got really, really bad within, within that nation. That The Bible actually tells you, it says that, that a donkey's head went for like 400 shekels. And that just means they ate all the livestock and now they're just selling the head, right? They're going to eat the ear and the tongue and the eyeballs. That's how bad it got. The Bible says that they were selling the, the dove dung, which if you don't know what that is, look it up. So now they're resorting to, to that's what they're trying to get their nutrients from. And then, and then it gets worse. And the Bible says that they resorted to cannibalism. They started eating their kids. That's how bad they're desperate. These people have surrounded them now for over a year. And it's really bad. For them, it's really bad. But where I want to pick up is the Bible says, at the city gate, there were four lepers. Four lepers outside, outside of the city because they weren't allowed in the family of God. They were lepers. So they had to stay at the gate. Right outside the Syrians, these are these four lepers. And it's bad for, for these people, but for, for the lepers, it's hopeless. If you know anything about leprosy, you know people think that, that your limbs fall off and all that. But really, it's just a degenerative nerve that, that means you can't feel things. So if you break your finger, you can't feel it. If you cut your finger, you can't feel it. If you break your toe, you can't feel it. So then it would get infected, and that's why they would lose parts of their limbs. And they were seen as, as pretty nasty disease. You can imagine gangrenous or whatever. So they would put them outside of the family of God. And these four lepers, so not only are they dealing with starvation, but they have, they have no family their only family is them. They have no friends. They have no family. They have obviously no money. They have no food. And their body is breaking down horribly. So they're in a totally hopeless situation. And this is where we pick up. It says in verse 7, it says, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said one to another, Why are we sitting here until we die? Now, the Old Testament always points us to the New Testament. Whenever Jesus showed up, Jesus, he came quoting the Old Testament. And he says, I was Isaac that was uh, going to be slain, slain on the altar. I was Noah who built an ark to save the family. I was, everything in the Old Testament points us to the New Testament. So I want you to understand that, that, that what we're seeing in the Old Testament is ourselves. And we are the lepers. Say, well, I'm not a leper, but I don't know about you, but, but I've come to realize that I was hopeless without Jesus. I was outside of the family of God, relationally, emotionally, physically. You're going to see in just a second that these guys were, were suicidal. In fact, they sit here and they say, why, why are we sitting here till we die? So each one of us, we're the four lepers. We're the hopeless, outside of the family of God people. We're struggling we're surrounded on every side by, by the enemy. And, and he's controlling us. But something happens. There, there, there's a situation here that happens to where these four lepers, finally they decide, they said, why sit here until we die? 
Let us get up and go to the enemy's camp. I like these lepers already. So the lepers decide, they say, we're just sitting here and, and we're dying. So they said, let us get up and go. We're just going to march. We're just going to leave the gate and we're going to go right into the Syrians camp. And they say, they said, if they kill us, then they kill us. But why sit he here till we die? And something amazing happens. The Bible says that as these lepers begin to walk, that, that confusion falls on the Syrians, and the Syrians start to hear the marching of feet. The Syrians start to hear horses, and they start to hear chariots. And the Bible says that the Syrians looked one to another, and they said, the Israelites have hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to come against us, and now they're going to, they're going to destroy us. And the Bible says that all of the Syrians, they run for their life. They get out of town. They leave. They've been camped there now for over a year. All of their gear, everything they own. The Bible says at, the last time he struck their eyes, right? He made them all blind. Now he's messing with their ears. How many of y'all know the Lord mess with you sometimes? Yeah, he'll mess with you a little bit. So, so he's messing with them now and he's making them hear. Now, obviously, you got four lepers crawling along. There's no army that they can see or that they're aware of. But in the, in, the, in the thought of the Syrians is we're about to be destroyed. And the Bible says that all of the Syrians, they take off and they leave everything behind them. Now let's pick up and let's see, let, let's see verse 8. It says, And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and they ate and drank. They carried away from it silver and gold and clothing. So you can imagine these lepers show up and there's hundreds of tents filled with clothes and bedding and Twinkies, right? <laughs> Sweet bread and grapes and Krispy Kreme and everything. All this, you're talking about these people have been eating donkey heads, Right, dove dung. I mean, it's, it's, it, got, it got bad a long time ago. And yet now, with no effort of their own, they didn't have to lift one finger. They didn't have to fight or they didn't have to do anything. Now they've come up to a table that's prepared for them with everything that they could imagine. And they go from tent to tent stuffing their face. Right? Everything that, and I, I can't, listen, I know exactly what I'd have done because I've seen the movies. I would have found, because you could always see the king's tent, right? The king had the real decked out, nice tent, right? It's got the little pomegranate bells and the little fray on it and got the little statue sitting out front with some palm branches. I would have found the king's tent, went right in there. There's probably a big pig with an apple in his mouth. And there was probably, you know, a cornucopia thing with all types of goodies in it. And they're going into these, into this tent. And the Bible says that they're eating and they're eating and they're eating. And then they're finding the silver. They're finding the gold. But I want you to notice what they did with it. If you want to write it in there, it says they went and hid them. Who's the lepers? Everybody say, I am. You're the lepers. Through no fault of your own, there was a decision, a point in your life where you were hopeless. And you decided, I'm going to rise up. 
and I'm going to make a move. And the moment you started to make a move, without even realizing it, through no effort of your own, God put the enemy on the run. And the moment you became born again and you asked Jesus into your heart, whether you even realize it, some of you probably still don't realize it, just as roaches leave when the lights come on, God made your enemies to scatter. And you showed up to a smorgasbord. You, sh you showed up to a full buffet of all kinds of goodies. And you begin to eat. And you begin to eat. And you started to discover treasures. The treasure of peace and the treasure of healing and the treasure of wholeness and the treasure of godly relationships and the, the, the treasure of joy and patience and long-suffering. You begin to take these treasures. But what did the lepers do with them? They hit them. And then the Bible says that they went and they came back and they entered another tent. And they carried some away from there also. And they went and did what? They hid it again. So they've, they've stumbled upon all of this stuff that they didn't earn. That they didn't have to work for. God prepared the way. God paved the way for their enemies to leave. And for them to come in to a whole new life. And yet, they're hiding what God's given them. Listen, the whole point of this morning is just for us to stop hiding what God's given us. God's gone before us and He scared away our enemies. Shoo fly, shoo. Right? And we come to church every Sunday and we eat at this table. Right? I mean, we, we, we eat at our church table and we go to our church barber and our church mechanic and we eat at that table and we go to church and we learn about all these treasures of God's given us. Oh, but the Bible says that you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. Come on now, I can do it. And, and we, we get these treasures, right? That, 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 that greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world, right? I'm more than a conqueror. And, and we feast on these things and we take them. But, but if we hide them, then there's trouble coming. Because if you look at verse 9, it says, Finally, then one said to another, We're not what? We're not doing right. We're just not doing right. We shouldn't be here hiding all of this stuff. We shouldn't be here just eating all this stuff. There's a whole camp out there that's, that's eating dove dung and fighting over camel heads and is cannibalizing each other, eating and backbiting and clawing each other for survival. And yet here we are and God's cleared out the way and, and we're here living the life, living the Christian life. And finally, one of them just looks, he says, this is not right what we're doing. Well, we shouldn't be here. This day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. What's well, good stuff right there? If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Very interesting. Will God hold us accountable for the food that we've been eating and the treasures we've been discovering and yet we hide them and we remain silent. He says some punishment is going to come on us for not telling the story. Jesus came, He taught, He proclaimed, and He healed. And then after that, He says, He says, now I want you to go out into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them, helping people, lay hands on the sick, they'll recover, they'll speak with new tongues, and if they take up any deadly thing, it will not harm them. 
He says, we remain silent. Next, next sentence says, if we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. You can see these lepers, they've gone through some situations. The first situation is they said, let us arise and go to the enemy's camp. Every person in here that's asked Jesus into their heart, you were far from God. You were a ways off. But something in you said, I'm not satisfied. I've, I've tried everything to satisfy me and yet I'm not satisfied. I'm going to arise and I'm going to make a decision. A, something, I'm going to make some changes in my life. And when you did, you found out that through no effort of your own, Jesus did the hard part. He came, He lived, He died. He was scorched with the cat of nine tails and they hammered a crown of thorns on His head. They stabbed Him in His side. And through no effort of your own, He made your enemies to scatter. And now we come and we listen and we learn and we feed and we rejoice and all of that is good. But, but here, he says, last thing, he says, let us go and tell. And I, I want you to notice the last two words, the king's household. In other words, everybody at the camp was in the king's household. The people you don't like, they're in the king's household. Your enemies that, that, that get on your nerves, they're in the king's household. The people you don't want cutting your hair and working on your car. The people you, that, that, that you don't want to be around. They're all in the king's household. They're all his kids. And we have this wonderful opportunity, responsibility, the greatest joy of your life will be going and telling. And, and again, you don't have to tell them everything that they need to know. Just tell them what you know. Just tell them your piece of the puzzle. Just tell them your part. Tell them what God did for you. I had the opportunity of being at my, uh, my, my 20-year, don't tell nobody, 20-year high school reunion uh, a, couple, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and, and we all know why we go to class reunions. We go see what people look like. That's the only reason we go. Don't act holy. I want to see. Now I know what you want to see. You want to see what they look like. You, you want to see the same thing I want to see. I wonder what they look like. Boy, she is pretty in high school. <laughs> and I mean, I know some of you are like, holding up pretty good. And some of you are like, my God. <laughs> are they even the same person? Really let himself go. Of course, you're not saying that. You're thinking, you know. So, so the, the reason that you go to these things is you want to see what people look like and you want to see what happened with them, right? That's the only reason you're, why you're there. And you, of course, you high five your neighbor, your friends. But if you haven't talked to them in 20 years, you probably ain't gonna talk to them another 20. So you know, you go because you want to see what they look like and you want to see see what what came of them. And boy, there was some shocked people when I was telling them what I what I what I did. And obviously, I wasn't up there like and the law. Yeah, I went. I mean, come on, y'all know me better than that. I wasn't doing that. But but there was there were several of them that were just fascinating. They just couldn't believe that, that I said, "Man, I've been in full time ministry for 16 years." And they thought that is just the strangest thing. But but as I knew, there was some of them. Some of them, the Lord would take me a little further, and some of them, He shut me down a little bit more. But there was a couple of them that the door just opened. He just opened, and I knew that, 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 that they were open, and that God opened. And then I just tell, just tell my story, just tell the story. Man, I was this, I was this, I was this, I tried this, did this, did this, this. None of it worked, didn't work, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. And they just like, holy cow, they just couldn't believe it. So I'm not trying to explain to them, hold the Bible says, in Second Kings chapter 7. No, they don't even know where Second Kings is. They probably don't know there's Second Kings in there. But I can tell them I once was blind. But, but now I see yesterday I was inviting a guy to, to church on the job site. And uh, he, you know, he's, he's 
big old guy. He'd been driving, you know, dump trucks for like 30 years or something. And he's living in a, a FEMA trailer. He's down here. He's, he basically lives in New Orleans. He comes down here, works all week, and then he goes home. And, uh, and I was, and I'd invited him to lunch. He's like, no, I'm not going, I'm not going. So I had to really upsell it, you know. And I don't have to upsell it much because it's Hackett's. If you've ever eaten at Hackett's, it, it's, on, it's on point. So I was like, dude, you've got to go eat at Hackett's. You've got to go eat at Hackett's. You've got to go eat. So finally, I get him over there. We're eating at Hackett's and, and end up talking to him for like an hour. And, and finally, it comes down to that, that point, you know, and you kind of know, know what that point is. And he says, I was, I was about to move home. You know, he starts to cry. You know, he gets, he's like, man, because I didn't know why, why I was here. I didn't know. But, but he says, now I think I found a reason to stay. And you're just like, and I mean, I lie. it cost me about $9 a Hackett's is all it cost me. And, uh, but just that, that door kind of opened. Again, I didn't tell him everything. I just kind of told him what I knew. And, and he said, man, I ain't got no clothes to come to church. I said, brother, you wear, wear anything you want. If you, as long as you ain't naked, you can come. Uh, Whatever clothes you got, you just show up. You wear your work boots. You got you holding your t-shirt. Don't matter, man. I, I preach in blue jeans. Just come on. Just come on. So uh, 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 my encouragement to you, and I have to close, is to not hide it. Right? Don't hide it. Don't be silent. You got to go and tell. There has to be something in you that, that says, I don't just have to go to my Christian barber or, or go to just my Christian this or my Christian that. Listen, I'll, I'll go anywhere. God, use me. Send me wherever. Where, wherever and whatever you want me to do. Uh, I won't tell them everything, but, but I'll tell them what I know. If you'll do that, he'll, life will count. Let's just say it like that. At the end of your life, that, that'll be what counts the most. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you, Father God, uh, for... Uh, your heart, that you're moved with compassion, you move with pity upon your king's kids, that these are your kids, your individuals. And God, you give us these lepers that, that like them, we were afar off, but through no effort of our own, we were brought into the kingdom of God. And before, of us, uh, before us was placed uh, a, a wealth and a banquet of your goodness. God, we purpose in our heart not to hide it, but we'll tell it. We purpose in our heart to go and tell, to preach, to teach, to proclaim, to bring healing to people everywhere we go. We thank you, Lord, for it. If you're here, you need to be saved. You need to ask Jesus in your heart. You need to be born again. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I don't want to close without you having that opportunity. Listen, Jesus could have came at 33, but He came as a baby. So He could experience what you experienced. So He could be tempted like you've been tempted. And yet the Bible says He sinned not. He came, He lived, He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He came so that you could go to heaven, but also to teach you how to live on this earth. If you're here, you need Jesus this morning. I'd like to pray for you, pray with you. I ask you to raise your hand. Is anybody like that this morning? I want to close without... Yes, sir, anybody else? You say, man, I need to be born again this morning. Anybody else? You say, I need salvation. The prayer I'm going to pray over all of you this morning, just the general prayer, uh, is I'll lead you in a prayer of salvation just so we can ask the Lord to forgive us of some things that we missed. I really want to pray for you guys to have boldness. There's a, there's a substance that's supernatural 
that, that'll cause you to just put the right book in somebody's hand or a right invitation to a, a conference or a gathering, a prayer meeting, a shindig or, or a church service, that there's a boldness that the Lord, He'll prompt you on the inside. And you just step out there and you don't have to tell them everything, just tell them what you know or just invite them and uh, I, I believe they'll come. I, I believe they'll come. God wants to use us to fill seats, empty seats, our eternal problems. Let's make a confession of faith this morning. Let's just, uh, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you should have. Listen, the, the hand raising doesn't save you. The Bible says that confession is made unto salvation. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. It's not a hand thing. It's a heart thing. If you're here, you say, man, I should have raised my hand. Then, 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 then raise your heart. It, it, confession is made unto salvation let's say this again everybody say Father God I believe I confess Jesus died to make me a child in the king's family I believe I confess Jesus Christ is my savior and now I ask for boldness to not be silent to go and tell to have compassion on the king's kids to bring them in to the banquet, the feast you've given us. I didn't earn it. I could never earn it. You've given it to us all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody stand up on your feet. I bless you. Send you out of here. Thank you, Father.